Hi, it's me, Aaron, the co-host of the movie podcast you are about to listen. Um, I'm going to start doing a spoiler warning in the beginning of our episode, uh, just to, just in case you are sensitive to them. Um, basically, I'm just going to warn you if uh, we are spoiling plot details in our talks about uh, the specific movies. Um, yeah, so uh, for this upcoming talk, I, I have to warn you that uh, we, we do talk about various plot points of the square. Uh, so if you have not seen it and don't want to be spoiled, uh, go see it first and then come back. Mother like son like movies. I'm Aaron and I'm here with my mother Lisa. Hello. And uh, today we are going to talk about the uh, Ruben Ostrand film from 2017 called The Square. And um, we, we talked uh, already about Ruben Ostrand in a previous episode with, about his uh, film Force Mature or Tourist that it was also called. And, um, yeah, I was really looking forward to this movie. Um, it won the Cannes Palme d'Or, and I, I kind of liked the Force Mature. Like, it, there was good stuff in it, and it, it was quite interesting movie. And, yeah, we have, we talked already about it and stuff like this. But, um, I was kind of excited to see where he went afterwards, you know. So I was really excited to kind of see this. And, and you know, I actually saw this on my birthday. Uh, which one? Uh, the square. Uh-huh. Because I, it was like the in the evening, uh, metal, and then I went to sleep already. I, I was alone and I thought, okay, I will watch a movie, you know, because on my birthday I always like, I watch, I, I, like, because I, I love movies, of course, obviously. So it's kind of like, I, I one, one, one thing that I would, always love to do on my own birthday is to watch like a really good movie like yeah. it's like you know like the ice cream by the end mm-hmm. of the day and uh, or something and and I really wanted to see something like quality and yeah, something really to get into and like think about and uh, something like something uh, and oh boy was that the worst birthday movie I ever saw ah the worst <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I it was like the worst decision to see this movie. <laughs> well, it's not uh, entertaining. Well, it was like you know, it's very rare that I actually want to quit watching a movie. Yeah. I I kind of like I'm interested still to still to see to the end. Like I don't understand people who walk out of the theater and you know just because yeah, suddenly yeah. they are disappointed of it or. Yeah. Or something like this, but maybe, maybe I'm like in these moments, I'm like getting almost to the level of understanding, like how frustrating it must be for those people to keep watching it if they really like emotionally are going against it and 
don't feel it and they are not like you know in the same level as the movie or something like this and um, I was watching this movie and I you know I had to actually like pause and you know gather my myself because I was breaking down you know I, I was like literally like like almost getting depressed or you know like I just couldn't handle myself and it's not because of the confrontation of the film like because Ruben Östlund has this tendency of making characters and situations that make you feel quite bad would you agree yeah. yes he really, really hates his characters in some ways like he yeah, re- <laughs> yeah. isn't or, it strange that that like Mark Cushing said that that he likes to be in the world of Tarkovsky and uh, and uh, Scorsese and and uh, Ozu and so on, and so it was nice to read it because that's what I like in the films to be in the world of the director. So what is the world of of Ruben Östlund? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, the horrible world. Yeah, that's true. Like he, he, like he, he. I think he has a, a huge kind of distaste of of many things that is happening in the world or something, and he really kind of loves to 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 like stick a knife to these things. Yeah, in some ways, you know, like he yeah. he really um, he like. Like, like in the yeah, yeah. Well, the force mature. The whole movie is 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 kind of in this tone made. Like how how you kind of basically uh, can feel bad of being either masculine or feminine or even having a family. Basically, like the whole film is just a critique of modern family structure and and and, and how how we are like not psychologically somehow not able to 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 be. To, to not hold that kind of traditional family structure in, in the modern ah, world. But he, he, he also raises questions like, does the man has to be strong and so But, you know, I saw his, was it his first film, maybe? I don't know. Earlier film, Play. Uh-huh. It's a, it's, it was a very good film. I can't say it, and it shocked me to the core. It's very bad feeling. It gave me such a bad feeling, but I learned from it a lot. Yeah, like I'm not opposed to having a movie experience where I feel really bad, and, you know, like that. It like um, that. That's what good horror should be. You know, it should go to the core, not not just like disgusting and scary, but it should make you really afraid. You know, like yeah, yeah. or a good thriller, like I all I uh, for me, like <laughs> I, for example, like move like uh, Martin Scorsese's Sutter Island, yeah, really made me really uncomfortable because it plays with the idea of reality and what is real and what is not. And I was also going, the Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, Martin Scorsese is kind of a master of this. You know, like yeah, making he's you the really of uncomfortable and and, yeah. and silence also. You know, yeah. if you if you watch but, it as a as a religious person or something, it it puts you into a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah, because you have to you have to go you have you are in a in a spot suddenly where you have to defend your ideology over human life. Yeah, but you know that this Ruben Östlund, in fact, with this way he's doing this film, he brings you to the idea of 
that Scandinavia is a perfect place to live. It's a perfect place to live with such a good-natured people and the perfect rules and law is helping you. You mean with the square? No, in the he's, in all his films, he's uh. he's going on that way. Uh. And when you think about like um, the Corn Brothers, when they make films, you know they are born in a Scandinavian area in America, in mm-hmm. Minnesota. It's the place where all those uh, those Norwegians, no Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. Very snowy. You and... What? You mean very it's... snowy and cold? Or what? Norwegian and the Finnish and the Swedish mood there, and they are still kind of that. And so you can see very clearly the same thing what Ruben Östlund talks about in Fargo, for instance, with this kind man, good-natured person, this car dealer, who tries to make a crime and believes that everybody's so good, nobody can be bad and kill his wife when they kidnap her. Mm. No, he won't believe it. It's just that let's make a nice little crime and he gets money. And he's so naive, so naive. Yeah. So, yeah, so they make fun. They, they, Their way of making films is kind of taking that, where they're born in, in um, Minnesota or somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, to taking that innocence, naiveness of Scandinavians and making, putting it into American context and Jewish context, making fun of it. Uh, it great jokes. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you say that this is the Cohen brother style. Yeah, that's, that's a look at, look at the serious man. Same thing. Yeah, but no. so, but how does this now relate to like Ruben Östlund? Like, you you mean that he doesn't have that, or he has that same? Or what well, did you he mean? doesn't see. The, he doesn't have the mixture of Jewishness and Americanness and the, the American crimes and things there. He has, he has this uh, naiveness, the same naiveness and innocence in the people when they are all trying to be kind to each other and and don't know really how to to act. Like this man, this museum curator there, the main. Yeah, person. he's like the stereotype of of Scandinavian political correct, good behaving, all like traditional man. That's yeah. He can stand the Tourette syndrome person and or anybody. No, who he wasn't in that scene. No, no, but but he could, he could, or anybody there. This Estland shows us them. Yeah. Them. So. But the only time he ever loses his temper in that movie is when he shouts at his two daughters, whom he loves, you know. Then he lets go. He, in a little thing like brushing their teeth or something. I, and think, he I, think, he got, I think he got a little bit mad at Elizabeth Moss also. When <laughs> she got a little bit too crazy on him. <laughs> so was, he was like, okay, now this is went too far. Like, he just, just shut up, like, stupid. Yeah, but like but like yeah. like he and, and of course he he's uh, he, like like Ruben Östlund basically what he was to say is that that look at this man he's this political correct Scandinavian person who wants he tries to be so moral and everything he drives an electric car uh, he has this museum where he tries to please everybody he tries to walk on the on the thin red line of 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 you know this perfect golden like lifestyle of you know that nobody can kind of put him into a stand you know like into a uh, a hangman's rope you know uh, (laughs) to judge him 
for anything or something, but that kind of within his uh, status uh, of of who he, who he is and what he has, what he can do, and uh, in his naiveness and kind of ignorance about his influence or how the world works in some ways, he there is kind of underlying. Um, uh, how would you say immorality in his behavior? Kind of, kind of. He, he, he. Like if you look at the whole film, like all the whole the scenarios and situation, they just kind of end up in him uh, abusing other people or misbehaving yeah, or. That's what like, they want to show, I think. Yeah, like like the, yeah. They want to be up something else, and they turn up to be opposite. Yeah, like like the like. Um, the, the the main main conflict the main point of the whole movie is the is the immigrant boy and what what he does with his actions to this boy and his family like the oh, so yeah yeah that's the that's the main conflict of the movie like um, he he like and that's the kind of what we are now talking about Usland's kind of team in the movie is that he. At least that's one of the maybe main only interesting part of this movie is that he he lost his he uh, a, a group of very cunning perf- very cunning thieves uh, stole steal his phone and he um, in his idiocy with the help of his assistant he mm. come up with the absolutely uh, weird plan to write a letter like a very mean threatening letter because they know where they, where they are because of the tracking device in the phone they know which building it is but cannot know which apartment so they write a letter very threatening letter and then one of them which ends up being the museum guy because the assistance is a is a double-faced uh, again like a very basic Östlund character where you see the double face that is so like he, he pretends to be something, but then in the face of the real thing, he's something else. Like, he's a copy of the husband in the, the tourist, in the first mature, basically. And he, they go through the apartments, he puts all the letters in, and he gets actually his phone back, which is weird in some ways. Maybe not, I don't know. Doesn't matter, maybe. But because of these actions, he, he, he creates a, a situation where uh, an immigrant boy uh, probably from Romania or somewhere he uh, like a gypsy boy you know like what we in Finnish would say like this uh-huh. gypsy yeah. boys gypsy people you know like he, he his parents accuse him from stealing this phone because they get this threatening letter and the boy wants to uh, is now starting to follow the man everywhere demanding honor and an apology for all the trouble that the man has uh, made made for her, for the boy, and the man never apologized, which is also weird in his own. But he does in the end. He sends him the phone message after he pushed him down the stairs. Yeah, <laughs> like it got, gets into a kind of a ridiculous situations and stuff. But it the, yeah, the, in a very Brocon brother style. Yeah, but Coen Brothers, I would say, would make this much more compelling and interesting story. Like, yeah, like, sure. but okay. the main main thing is 
we have this white Scandinavian, uh, very very high class, political correct man who abuses his status and in his ignorance creates this this sit conflict to this like uh yeah that's like see I'm already getting bored of trying to describe this whole. <laughs> it's like it's. It was a boring film. Yeah, well, it wasn't. That, that's the thing. It was. It was not boring because it was absolutely frustrating. <laughs> I was every scene. I was getting more and more angry at this film yeah. because and and the whole thing started like from the beginning. I was very excited, you know, when the when the movie opens. I'm yeah. I'm totally open, you know. I'm with yeah. full yeah. hands, you know. Please, Ursula, give it to me, you know. Yeah. Like, show this movie. I want to be in your movie. I want to live with your characters. I'm so open to you, you know. And... <laughs> <laughs> sounds weird, maybe, but... Um, but that's how we go to the yeah, movie. Yeah, that's weird. I, well, that's what I, I want to say. I'm very open to this movie. What's funny is what he gave you. So, yeah. So, the the first scene... Is basically like uh, the the idea of okay, let's introduce the main character through an interview, where we can actually ask questions from him and he can explain the setup. Okay, who am I? What is this? Uh, basically, the same the 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 how Ima Beriman introduced the the married couple in scenes from the marriage. The mm. very first scene is them having the interview where we introduce it, but in there it was done masterfully, but. Um, so we have this scene with this Elizabeth Moss who is a, a journalist yeah extremely bad journalist yes to, if, if you can say <laughs> he's like the, he's like the, uh, from a tabloid media or something it's absolutely mind boggling why this woman why this journalist is interviewing this museum guy but um, mm. she, she asks him what, who are you and, and he explains that he's the museum creator and everything like this and then, without going to further questions or any, asking anything else from this man, she says that I read something from your website and I want to know if you can explain it to me because I may be stupid or don't understand art or something. So can you kind of break it down for me? And she reads this, this scripture from the website, which is a very complicated sound, like it talks about non-exhibit, non-exhibit, uh, site, non-sites, and like very weird conceptual abstraction of of something that 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 is like an art exhibition or something. And the man is like, uh, let me see that, like, uh, and reads it. And then he tries to like he tries to think how to explain this. And then he says, "Well, we had to we have that evening in the museum where we discussed about the idea that, well, if you put an object in the museum, is it art?" For example, if I put your bag into the museum here in the floor, does it make it art? And I was I was thinking, hey, okay, that's that's a valid question and quite well explained. And Elizabeth Moss is like clearly comedic acting and trying to portray this stupid woman like a stupid audience that thought, whoa. That sounds weird. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 
as if that was like something completely absurd to say. And and then she says, okay, that's that's all the time we had. What kind of an interview is that? No, it's nothing. It's nothing, and it's it's it it. And I was like looking at this. I was like, okay, that was weird. That was very weird because that was clearly a joke about art. It was clearly a joke about how stupid art uh, sounds like, yeah. and that there is no no idea in it. And the next scene, next shot is this constru- in the in the front of the museum. There's this construction people. And there's, they are taking down this uh, horse sculpture yeah. with a rider, and there's this this music in the background, and they are all like, for some reason, showing with the uh, videotaping is with their phones or something. They're all nobody, and and there's this crane taking the horse out, and it's clearly CGI. It's totally digital. It's not a real horse. It's really bad animated digital uh-huh. horse. It didn't okay. behave naturally, and the, and and what happens is that the crane just like it breaks, and the 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 horse sculpture smashes on the ground. They destroyed the art piece, and nobody does anything. And some construction men start laughing, and I'm <laughs> and I started like I I don't know what's happening. Like wh- why? Wh- what is the point of these scenes? You know, like mm. it's again a joke. About art and about the museum, and yeah, obviously. it's like a slapstick, you know. Oh, we destroyed this art, haha, you know. Mm. And then I, I got really bad feelings. Like th- that was the worst opening to a movie about art. Yeah, because it clearly made a stand about what the approach of what it wanted to say. It's kind of silly, no? It's very silly, and it got it got even worse. I I cannot understand this movie. Like I I I started to. I was kind of still open to the character and to learn about them and everything, but it got oh my god! It got but so so bad. It was like um, we we have this interview with an artist. And they, <laughs> who is a, like a installation artist? What's wrong with that? What is wrong with being an installation artist? And he, and he, uh, they they are trying to talk about the art. And then there is, uh, for some reason, there is a Tourette person in the audience yeah. who starts shouting some stuff. Yeah. And then they are getting interrupted all the time, and it's like, uh, okay. And it's the worst, it's the most cliche, basic, silly joke ever to have a Tourette. Yeah, to me, but you know that I felt exactly the same things in this movie, but I thought that it's maybe because I know art, art museum life from inside. So I thought that maybe I'm too, that people from who are not work, who have never been working in a museum or being dealt with art, don't see it differently. So, but uh-huh. I guess not. So it's because I I I don't think it's so silly in the art art world as as in this film. Uh, what, what do you mean? Can you elaborate? Like, can you explain? Well, it? I mean, they are responsible people, and they would never dare to be so silly and childish as as this man is. Uh-huh. In, in the work, they are really working hard and. And uh, no, a museum director is 
it's very quickly not a Muslim director if if he be, or she behaves like that. Like like the like the scene where there is this like uh, art piece with these crab balls of sand, yeah. and then the cleaning person cleans little uh, that pieces. That can happen. That can happen, but. Of all of all, what happened in each of those? There were a lot of them, like you said, mm. like this horse dropping and all. So, so in that place, I thought that what? That of course, you, in that case, you call a conservator. They have a, it's a big museum, and they surely have many conservators, uh, restorers there. Mm-hmm. No? So you call them to job, and they make the business, and they're not the direct the curator. Yeah, and and I like Öslund said that like because half of his movies, the 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 source for his stories comes from YouTube or pe- stories he hear from his friends, like that's how he makes makes his scripts. Um, he he apparently said like yeah, all of this happened, and he, that the museum people are as silly as in the movie of his experience, and that's. Um, That's very strange, and I don't believe that even in Sweden, no, even in Sweden. <laughs> but that, it, that it's so true. Silly. But I can understand that it's true that they had they have insurance situations where a piece of art is being uh, broken, or there's something happened, and there is a complicated insurance situation about how to deal with this thing, and that can be an interesting idea about a conflict like uh, some sense of crumble like um, being misplaced and does that count as that it's like not at, in the original form of the art or something but I feel like Öslön goes into it in a, such a silly and kind of unrealistic or way like he, he I feel like even though he makes his movies from YouTube and real stories that he hears, which doesn't make it like real, it's just a story, he, he his films tend to, the outcome of the films tend to be extremely unrealistic, I feel. Like the situation and the way people behave and everything. Yeah, but you know that you say that we have to make it right, that you said that he heard, actually he heard some stories of actual things, but I have read many articles about this and so on. So I read that uh, he, this Erslund, really got his phone stolen that way himself. No, I I, I, no, I, I, I I, heard this interview and he said that he didn't got his phone stolen. Okay, so we heard it differently. See, it's, it's then, already called totally And like, then also yeah. that he said that um, the square... The square was invented by him and his producer, Kalle Buman. Yeah, it was an installation and that they made. They, so the, yeah. basically he he takes things from, in all his films, he takes things what really happened. Like in, in this that, film. Yeah, but that's what I say. Like he, like like the Force Mature was also based on a YouTube video yeah. about the and real the, situation that yeah, happened. Play was based on a court case. Yeah, so but but uh, what I mean to say is that even though it seems like he takes it from real stuff, I, I what I mean is to say that he portrays it and he directs it in a way that feels for me kind of unrealistic and kind of silly. Yeah, and and he twists thing. it. He just you know he he does he's not able to convey it in a in a in a yeah believable way. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. Believable. 
that was my problem too with this film. That's not believable. Even if I understand, maybe I understand that he's not trying to just look, make silly sketches. He's trying to more make a comment on Swedish society. Yeah, but like, I feel like not really only Swedish because he he he. It's also English spoken, like Elizabeth Moss is in it, and he so he wants to like reach out to a wider audience with it. He wants because he he said it in the interview before when he was talking about Force Majeure that he wants to make a film with more uh, like American known celebrity actors, like yeah. and now you see Elizabeth Moss in it to, so that he can kind of speak to that audience more. So it's also, clearly... there are other actors there which are international. You no, know, like this Danish. This main person is Danish, uh, a known actor, and then this um, Terry Notary, the one who uh, acted the ape man in the party. He's made. He's acting in the ape film. Yes. So and yeah. So, so this guy. Yeah, that's an interesting West, thing. So I want to I want to clear it out for the listeners is that this this the and the dinner party we will get into that dinner party scene we will get into that just <laughs> um, but that the the guy who played the performance artist he he's actually the the guy who plays the rocket from the Planet of the Apes movies from the new ones so yeah. when you see this guy. He's like he has these uh, extensions on his arms, and he he so that he can kind of act like a ape. Yeah, and those are the same ones that they used in the Planet of the Apes. The <laughs> actor, so he he literally just recreates his role as a rocket or an ape from the Planet of the Apes, and that's why he was so he was the like the most believable character in all this movie. Well, me not, no. <laughs> I, I mean the ape part, like he was really an ape. Like no, no, for but, me not, because he had trousers on him. Apes don't have trousers. Okay, so now we talk about this scene. Okay, now we get into it. So, what because do you want to say? I want to say that Paul Verhoeven, we we are. I'm, I've been uh, watching Paul Verhoeven's films, and I really admire him for his reality. He would never put may put. You know, I was thinking when I saw that that ape man with Terry Notary acting as ape man, I was thinking that who that Paul Verhoeven would have taken his trousers off and make him naked immediately without yeah. question. But in Sweden, of course, you can't do that. So is he a really? He's not really ape. He's yeah. acting as an ape and say, "I'm ape." I'm ape. But he has trousers on him. Yeah, that's a, I think that's a very good point, and that kind of creates this. Yeah, and that 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 goes into the concept conceptual state of that scene, like the, the thematics of it, because he wants to tell you about it. How so? The scene is that the ape, the, the, there's this performing artist who acts like an ape, and they set up that there's this dinner table with these high class people. And it's a clear symbolism reflection between civilized people and the savage pe- savage nature of human, and how we act, and how we misbehave, and how we abuse each other. And bleh, like I'm about to throw up. But um, the 
the, there is this Cyclas people and they explain that there is this performance artist coming who is an ape and that the rule is that like that in the jungle there is the jungle law and that the ape uh, preys on the people and that who that, that you have to be very silent in order to not catch its attention and then the ape come in, comes in and it's it wants to it's like I've heard like some people like say that the, the main thing that they got out of that scene is that how far does art go you know where does art stop and real life that's what you want to start? say and, and, and it's always that's what the scene translates but Ostlund also has a sociological perspective to his films. He wants to see how the people behave and how is the social construct uh, uh, working in, in, in relation with all these characters and how they how they how they behave in that situation, you know, and stuff like this. And naturally, the people start laughing when the guy comes in, because, like you say, it's a man having pants on acting like an ape. Yeah. So what do you expect? Of course they laugh. Yeah. Of course it, this is a funny situation. Like, of course it's a man. If it would be an ape, that would be different. Mm. Then you wouldn't know what would ha- what will happen. But because it's a performance artist acting as an ape, this is the concept that the people have in their mind. Mm. So when when the things start to get out of hand... Yeah. And, the, and the and the artist gets his into his role a little bit too much. Mm-hmm. The the it's very absurd what the the whole situation in, in some ways like that the that the people don't like act on it like like we have to like they they either uh, get out of the room which is of course, like natural behavior and everything like this. But the moment that the the girl is just getting to be raped, yeah, we have to watch that for a while before mm. anybody does anything. And I thought uh, somehow I I thought that it's it's really actually the princess of Sweden's. Uh, maybe maybe not, but like if if you want to talk about how we don't act on let's say, sexual abuse and how we don't act on savage people in our in the, in the room, you know, the big elephant in the room, like like mm. what is happening or in the world, uh, for example, in Hollywood these days or something like that. Like, a lot of that happens in closed doors, yeah. out of sight. We don't yeah. know that it happens. After years, people come out and say that it happened. Yeah. But if it's happening right there in the room next to you and you don't <laughs> act, what the hell is happening? You know, I was I was being discussed that we yeah. have to sit on this and watch this rape yeah. happening in front of all these people, but this ape and that nobody's actually like like for me it was kind of you know weird that there is a very clear limit to this performance to what is yeah. happening because. Yeah. Um, because it's all about to which the people agree to participate. Yeah. You know? And if they understand what they are agreeing on. Because, of course, like like I said, of course they laugh because the monkey comes. Mm-hmm. Because 
because they don't think that they have to play a lot because they expect that the, it is it is the performer doing the playing. It yeah. is a theater that is it is just a conceptual art piece, and they don't take it seriously. And then, the, in the end, when the artist forces them to take it seriously, then it, then it um, just the way it's like it 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 already gets really uncomfortable in the beginning, and and the curator actually stands up and says, "Okay, this is over." Mm-hmm. He tries to stop it. Because it, it, he started to get physical on people and stuff. It was already getting to the, to the way out of hand, yeah. to the normal social construct and stuff like this. So the ape actually uh, uh, uses like his kind of primitive, you know, opens his chest and stuff, and he puts the curator down and then gets the control of the situation. Mm. And that, um, uh, so the creator is like somebody saying the safe word. Mm. Now stop. Now it now it went too much. He is realizing yeah. the the where the art stopped. Yeah. And the artist is the one who takes the authority role and continues to abuse the victim. And this is the same situation as what happened in Stanford Prison. Mm. Remember where yeah. everybody knows about that. We don't everybody. have to explain what it is, okay. but it's the same situation. Um, nobody has to be quiet and the people themselves let them to be abused. So, so for me, it's less about the nature of art and more about the psychology of behind this social behavior, you know? So maybe it can be, I want to say two things about this ape business. Uh, maybe this Ruben Estlund wants to see what the people who are watching the film will do. Because then maybe we should go get up, like you said, we should interrupt the film and go out. We don't take part in watching this silliness, this uh, this brutality. Yeah, and maybe, maybe he there then wants to say also that, well, would you do it, you know, in that situation? Because, of course, mm-hmm. it's easy for us to say, oh, mm-hmm. I, would, I would stand up and... Uh, go against it you know but we don't know what we would do in that situation so it's so it's basically the same movie as force majeure mm. it's the same concept the same idea that once we are put into that situation where our true nature stands up but for me you know like i i i feel like this it's 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 like okay so it <laughs> I don't know if I if it says anything to you, but maybe it says a lot to the people who are listening, who might have been watching the TV series Black Mirror. Have you mm. ever heard about that? No, I. We can I can explain it another time or something. But uh, basically, it's it's like it, I feel like Öslund takes the same uh way of constructing the the scene or trying to tell the message the same way as black mirror does in which we have a we have a starting point idea um of it can be a kind of naive a kind of thing and maybe we don't fully understand it and then let's see if it went to the extreme end of it and let's see how it can how it destroys us how 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 horrible it is for me this scene this this dinner scene is more a horror scene. It's a Stanford prison experiment. Yeah. It's and and in that way, yes, it's an interesting psychological discussion. It, even though for me, Stanford prison is even more important than apes 
performance artist in the dinner scene because the ape performer in this dinner scene for me talks more about how we conceive art and how we approach art it doesn't yeah. for me involve stanford prison kind of psychological um level of exploration for example mm-hmm. so let me just like like try to give my finishing like idea out of it is that um the the fact that the people laughed at the performance and didn't take it serious means that they had they had a different idea about the, how immune they should be to the real danger of the performance. So they have agreed to only observe a performance and possibly be target of silly tricks to to you know to the max limit mm-hmm. of it, not mm-hmm. to be abused. They didn't expect to be violently abused by the artist. It's mm-hmm. complete. It's completely reasonable of the. Uh, it's, it's completely the responsibility of the artist to have taken it to the dangerous level. The artist, the whole thing about this dinner scene is that the artist is crazy. It's he's just mad, and we should never allow art to to. We should never. Uh, um, so like like. Um, like, like, is it as is as if the situation is that we have given the crazy person the possibility to abuse us, mm. and we should, and of course, we should never give the freedom to crazy people to do crazy stuff in the name of art. That's yeah. that's the whole thing I get out of it, and that and it's totally simple and obvious uh, rule, you know. Yeah, and and also in not as art, but in everything. Because, like in this movie play, the boys, uh, uh, they, what you call it when you, kiusata, uh, kiusata? Uh, bullying. Bully, they bully these other boys, and exactly this way as this artist did here, in the criminal way, it's... It's yeah, the- yeah, for sure. That's that, that's also even more crazier and stuff like yeah, this. Yeah, so it's in society, and that was not art. They 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 bullied them. Yeah, and, and that, let's let's talk about that. Let's you know like. Yeah, no, I want to say this I other. Not us, but to us, you know, like. Art, yeah, yeah. To, it's this yeah, ridiculous. To, this art world critique and stuff but, like this. It's just. But that's his point, probably. He just repeat the same point again and again in his films. He's, it's his world. Yeah. To show us that this is not allowed, not to do. So yeah. <laughs> I yeah. So I want to say the other thing which I want to say about yeah. this scene. So it uh, why he took this uh, Terry Notary as to act as Oleg. It's a man. This eight man is Oleg. So it was an actual Russian artist called Oleg Kulik who made a performance art in in 1996 in Stockholm, Fair Fabric, in the color factory. Uh, he was chained naked as a dog yes. into, into something and then somebody from the audience went too close and he beat him in the leg. Yeah, and so and immediately came a police people and arrested him because that's not allowed, and that happened in Stockholm, in Sweden. And you, so that's realistic. What I want, it's it's realistic and it's good. And that's there's, there was a detail that you, sorry, can I add a detail about what, ah, what was it? Because know. he had a sign 
next to him that said dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And that okay. was the idea that he's a dangerous dog and he has a sign that says dangerous. And there was a man then who, without, you know, went too close to him or something and he bit him. He attacked him violently. And the performing artist afterwards said that he had the right to do that because that, that, um, uh, that it was excusable because there was a warning label. Yeah, but he um, was wrong. Yeah, he, he was, was wrong. wrong and the policemen were right to come and arrest him. Even he wanted to, he was a very brave artist because he was uh, performing and what is happening in Russian society. He was among, that's, he's a chained dog, a rabid dog who knows dangerous, like Russian society. That's what he was his idea. <laughs> So he's <laughs> he had some good ideas in his head, but but uh, not to cri- not to be criminally cannot. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, but even yeah. Esplund didn't get it that way. In his, he took he didn't take that. He took it from there, but he he turned it into his some strange silly thing. Exactly. Like, see, you you take a real thing that happened. And it's like real, like you can say, well, it really happened. But he twists and turns it and very, he doesn't have the talent and capability of doing anything with it. He doesn't mm. really know how to utilize this. Yeah, he, yeah. They're, they're, That's the feeling I get from his movies. Exactly. Really, in all his movies, I get this feeling that he's not, something is there that he doesn't know really how. Exactly. And and this was, I now I feel so bad of 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 uh, uh, like defending him on the <laughs> force majeure that because I I kind of had that same frustration while watching it that yeah. that not the confrontation really of that oh I feel bad even mm-hmm. though it's it's much more effective film and that scene with the avalanche yeah, is very yes. good much better but Mat- the conversation about masculinity and femininity and modern femininity felt very shallow. And I got very frustrated because of that. Because of, well, there's not really good arguments in either side. And I don't understand why, what is the film, what is the director trying to even say, you know, and how I should even feel about this. Mm-hmm. I feel that these. Especially the square, I feel like he he gives the worst possible arguments. And considering still that the half of the film is absolutely unbelievably silly jokes about modern art. Yes, I feel so too, and I can be understand why it got the prize in Cannes. And I think it was uh, Pedro Almodovar who was exactly. There. And it, it's very weird. Like I believe he's a genius, really, and why his dog has gone so low? So yeah, so far, like, like, but this is a weird pattern that I've seen. That like, I've now been three times uh, completely uh, disappointed in Cannes, in my opinion, of their very uh, poor judgment, which is which was first in two thousand four in Warrenheit nine eleven <laughs> by uh, Michael Moore, which and then the president was guess who. Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> so can you believe it? Maybe he was American, so he, he was very passionate about it or something. And then in 2016, I, Daniel Blake, and guess who was the direct uh, president? It was George Miller. 
who made Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Well, the world's best re- reboot of a franchise. The, yeah. And now Almanovar. Like, all these great intelligent people. Something happens. We should go to Cannes and see what is going <laughs> on because we don't know really. We can't judge if we don't yeah. know. Yeah, and maybe we give too much credit for the president. It's a jury, you know. It's a whole... Yeah. There's a whole voter system and everything like this. And... Um, mm-hmm. But... I I still wanted to say... A, you said your what you wanted about the dinner scene? Yeah, I said that... that um, Mostly, when I saw the dinner scene, I I saw said it all, but I want to say it again that most when I saw the dinner scene, I thought it's really stupid and I didn't want to see it. But I thought that oh, if this was Paul Verhoeven, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like like again to 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 like you said, Paul Verhoeven would make it naked, and then we in reality he was naked. So yeah. that's intimidating. That's but you have a guy with these stupid pants on. And, you yeah. know how can anybody take that that performance seriously if you if if you have uh, this this ape going? But anyway, like yeah. the, the the most frustrating was for me the to the inability to do basically anything in the movie except poke fun as modern art, and that because you know. For me, it's also like it's it's very weird that he chose to combine like sociological observations with modern art because it just doesn't really fit. Like even the square for me is so hollow and stupid idea. Like there's nothing he 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 talks about. He made even an installation about it, and he basically what he wants to say that there you you create uh, like these lines and then within these lines you have some kind of rules but why do the rules doesn't exist outside of the lines basically when I first saw it when when they start to take the stones out of the plaza I thought that I was really I want to scream (laughs) what you were crazy doing and (laughs) the most horrible thing in the world the whole thing the whole idea yeah yeah and and I was kind of thinking at some point in watching this movie that he he pretends that this is somehow extremely like revolutionary idea like a square that like like how he's like how he's putting this concept of this 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 idea of rules into this one square but he Uh, wants to say that it's really himself he wants to show us yeah, well, yeah, maybe maybe it's more very strange ways. No, yeah, maybe it's more about uh, because he he made the installation and everything. So then it's then it's a joke about art itself. But he it's more about these rules, how they exist no. in and out, and and in which moment do we apply rules to who? Um, because you have these scenes like he goes to the crowd to ask. Can you please help me to find my daughter? And nobody answers. And then he has to go to the homeless man to ask if he can help him find his daughter, so he can look at. Which is totally unrealistic. And it, no, I, it's just yeah, there's no the people there's... like you. I you know, I was yeah. just thinking today that you have this scene of these people in the mall who just walk by, doesn't even look at him, doesn't even. Which is psycho- uh, group psychologically inaccurate because they made studies and you see the, the, the idea is that 
uh, when you when there is a group of people and there is a person who is having some kind of problem, but if he looks the same as the group, the group has more probability of listening to this person. If it's like a homeless and you you look completely different, then you feel more like a stranger. Mm. So it's very basic group psychology that they they tend to help one of a kind. Mm. You know, so those small people, completely normal, high class person asking for help, it's totally unrealistic that they wouldn't help him about from with a single simple thing. And we, I, I saw the Haneke happy end, and there is a scene where this, this, the, 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 the boy, the, the man, gets punched in the face, and he goes to his car, and he has blood dripping from his nose and there is in the background a woman walking by and I we I noticed the woman immediately like whoa okay there's a woman and there's this man and the woman stops yeah and yeah, asks yeah. and it's completely normal well Haneke is something he's he's like, logical like <laughs> so so see how Östlund makes this as into a, yeah. like a surrealist and what I so what I wanted to say is that Anyway, about this this modern art is that that of course we know that modern art is funny. Of course, modern art is funny. You know, like you have a a cube in the center of a of a room, and then everybody is like, "Wow, look at this cube!" And of, if you if you look at it outside, you know, if you film the people, of course it's funny. It's absurd if you look at it that way. But the problem with with this kind of humor or this kind of fun making at modern art is I feel like it's very unfair because the modern art, of course it's funny in a physical form, but modern art is a conceptual level of art. It's more about the conceptual idea of what the art is or represents. And the discussion is on that, that level. So it's, 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 it's it, the most silliest, the most lowest level of, humor and comedy to make fun of something that appears to be silly but not addressing the 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 conceptual idea of it you know you're just making so yeah yeah so i think that this square the square this film is about not having equal rights and obligations or yeah. having or trust and care, and that's that's what he wants to say. But he he doesn't know yet how to say it. So I don't understand how he has risen. Or maybe I understand. You know, maybe I understand. He he's, he has risen to be a notorious uh, director, <laughs> no, acclaimed acclaimed yeah, director yeah. who has got Palme d'Or and everything, and and he was in Oscar. Uh, almost getting the prize for the foreign film but he doesn't know yet all the what he, how to make how to make the, he only makes us uncomfortable world when we watch it his world is uncomfortable world so so um he doesn't know to make his point like Haneke for or somebody I don't can't even compare or anything like this exactly. yeah makes it Bright and click to the point, Haneke, you know? Yeah. And this man is just Super going sharp. back in the rubbish where he was, this man in the rubbish looking for the for the telephone number. Yeah. Yeah, and the, and the 
this Estland is trying to to no he has found he said himself in this uh, force majeure making he he said that he he has to make a startling subject to make people to notice him so that's what he does and now he took famous actors and so another thing he he knows what where to pull the strings but he has nothing to give yet mm-hmm. yes i yeah. have seen like it it was very weird like can you believe it that i i was watching interviews and the interviewer starts by saying that how does it feel that people are comparing you to being the new Ingmar Bergman Oh, that's silly. Stop to listen to it immediately. <laughs> But this is how the, like you said, how he's he's acclaimed. People are like acclaiming him that he's genius and that that he's now suddenly on this. On, like that, that, that's it. Says a lot about the audience and the people who say something like that. That they don't really have any idea what who Ima Beriman is or what's the history of filmmaking. Uh, and that how how on the surface all of this is. Yeah, maybe they're not serious enough in the movie business. But you know this this idea what what I understand what Ruben Oslin wants to say. He wants to say about comment about Scandinavian good natured people, society and all these laws, but this this comrades, Joel and Ethan Korn are already Have do, are doing it in a brilliant way. Yeah, true. So that's yeah. A, that was a good thing because of Ruben Östlund. I I realized that that they are doing Scandinavian. <laughs> but you know, uh, um, we are we are starting to get a little bit to the end of it. But I have a couple of things I want to still like mention. That um, uh, first of all, I want to say that every time Elizabeth Moss was on the screen and. With his character, I it was the worst thing I've ever seen. It was most pointless stuff. The the ad they make in the movie is ridiculous. It's yeah. it's a good example of the level of quality that Oslo puts into his social commentary or whatever. Like the ad they make, because they make it to be something something uh, horrifying, something something extremely provoking. You mean the sex? No, the square at the museum campaign about advertising the the exhibition of the square, where the little oh. girl steps yeah. in the middle with the kittens and explodes. Ah, oh! You remember yeah. that? Yeah. So, so this they and it's it, it's a big, huge, big thing in the movie, and there's a big and the, he he has to step down as a curator because of that advertisement and stuff like this. They make it. They 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 talk about it as if it's the most hor- the horrible thing they seen on TV, and I was watching it, and it was the for me it was the most laughable thing I've seen. You can you can they do, can you does Oslund really expect me to take seriously that the that the the video clipper advertisement with a little girl and kittens, mm. and then comically exploding? It's like mm. a Monty Python sketch. Yeah, it is. It's funny. It's not a horrifying thing. This is 
nobody can take that seriously. Mm. We we have seen Monty Python sketches with exploding kittens and girls, like what, and like mm. like, and it's an art museum, so maybe it's a funny joke or something. Who knows? I don't but know. Even- but but. I, it's it's unbelievable for me that anybody like in that universe is taking that seriously. And to me, it it belongs into surreal land. It's but I the, I think he was pretty good in this force majeure. Majeure. This the, tourist. That avalanche scene and the ending are really good. Yeah, and of the course. idea about but this man. To, what I wanted to say with this is. The way this universe is constructed in the square, especially, reminded me a lot about Roy Anderson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, it's very like if if it's somebody that we have to compare it to, I compare it to kind of Roy Anderson because the scenes and how because they are like these little joke scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how he how the, the feeling, the tone, and atmosphere of those scenes, the satire and the humor feels very much close to how kind of the, the, the weird world of Roy Anderson and how he's like kind of observing the little behavior of humans and how but they... But he does it brilliantly. Yes, exactly. Like the... He beautifully explores human characters, social mm-hmm. teams and here are he... brothers. Yeah, like, like in... in... <laughs> I'll not talk about Roy Anderson. <laughs> that... Like, like uh, he, he even jokes with the framing. I remember the like, like in the in the pigeon set on set on the brands. Like when the there is this scene. Uh, uh, we will talk about. I want. Um, yeah, like, we like this, like, this, yeah, like this, like this woman in the in the park next to the water with this uh, baby carriage. Yeah, and how he starts playing with the little feet of the little girl alone. Mm-hmm. There's mm. nobody else, and she can be as silly as she can. Yeah. And this, and then we jump suddenly into this this restaurant bar in the industrial area, and then suddenly mm. the monarchy walks in oh, marching. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and the king, the prince of the king, I think it was a prince. Yeah, yeah he, he comes in and he just does whatever he wants with the people. He puts somebody as a stool or something, yeah. I don't know, and he tries to uh, seduce the bar, bartender. And like, that, that, that is uh, an authority taking abuse of of yeah. surroundings, that you know. That is great cinema. That, yeah, that is like marvelous moment, yeah. you know, on screen and stuff. And Oslo doesn't go near, and he tries to copy. He clearly tries to copy that that uh, that quirky Swedish Roy Anderson thing of the Scandinavian mm-hmm. life that Roy Anderson does so beautifully in a such an absurd, twisted. But isn't way. it good that now you got it out of your system? Yes, and as a kind of a light thing at the end, <laughs> like now we are much more happier at, more in, the, in, in the in the beginning. This was a very hard journey. I'm yeah. very happy that we we became much more. Uh, light in the end. Yeah, we don't have to worry about us. Like uh, let him let him be his stupid stuff. But um, I was th- I was uh. Because I've been also observing the art world, and I feel like art world is absurd. There is 
very definite absurdity in it. Yeah. I just don't think modern art is the absurdity because I understand what is the idea of the conceptualized mm -hmm. ideas within that. And there can be absurd conceptual ideas. I didn't ideas. mean to at all here. Yeah, so if you want to talk about art, because Oslo makes this into the art world, so if he wants to make sociological films, so then make that, but if you want to make if you if you make it in the art world, then you are talking about the art world. So, but if you want to make something really interesting about the art world, um, for already maybe more than five years, like for some time, there has been happening this very weird shift in how art world is trying to react to the evolution of uh, where art can be found and in what form art can take and this I think one of the best example is the Banksy artist yeah. uh, who makes most of his artwork in England but we don't know if it's English <laughs> like you said to me but um, there uh, it caught my my eyes and my, my, my ears when I heard this news that they are starting to cut down cut out the wall pieces yeah, of the Banksy art and auctioning them. Yeah. And, well, if anybody who is remotely uh, understanding who Banksy is, this is something very interesting. This is... Now you are getting to the conflictive nature of the art world, like mm. what is art, who does it belong to? And for me, I, I would take into a deeper look into the whole auctioning business. The yeah. whole, it's, it's a stock market of itself. Sure. It's ridiculous and absurd. They are, if, if you start to philosophy dating the meta level of what art is and how it's constructed and stuff like this, instead of making fun of modern artists and stuff like this. And mm -hmm. the, as a fun, fun little thing, I saw it was, if I remember, it was actually like a CNN news coverage. Can you believe it was like an actual news that they said like there, there appeared a new Banksy artwork on a wall, like in a metro or something. And, and here is the journalist on the spot. Thank you. I am here next to this art Banksy new art piece uh, where now you can see all these people have been gathering to observe it and they are like taking pictures. Mm. And it's like a exhibition in the street okay and and it was already getting for me kind of weird and that this is the world we live in that yeah. somebody makes street art and we gather around it as it's a museum yeah. before we, we were like we wanted to put them to jail because they made uh, vandalism Mm. And now they now it turned around because the artist is famous suddenly, but his 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 physical form of art is still street art, which is something completely different than a museum art. It yeah. it belongs to the street. It's a it's it's a totally it's different thing. But mm. we are like somehow appreciating that now. So you know, like tags and graffitis are now considered like uh, museum art in in a way. You know, and the the best thing ever. I, I started to laugh ridiculously was there was can you believe it there was an art critic next to the wall and they interviewed the art critic 
for the news, and the art critic started to analyze the Banksy artwork. <laughs> he started. She, 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 she started to explain that all oh, this. So what Banksy is trying to say is <laughs> that there is an oppression, and we are abusing this poor individual in this manner. And it was actually like a, it was like a, a, a character that was painted in the form of this uh, black boy artist who was the fa- who was a favorite of Andy Warhol. Made this very yeah, yeah, childish. Who was his I name? Remember, I don't remember his name, but I, ah, I don't remember. Maybe we have to put it on the blog afterwards or something. Yeah, yeah. And the police yeah. were like investigating him as if he's like a black person, criminal, and, and stuff like this. So he was like talking about that and a whole conflict about how the black people are uh, abused off and stuff like this. And I was like, this is this is. This is what we have to make a movie, a comedy about. This is getting to the surreal level of absurdity that, like, and it's normal, you know, and this, uh, apparently it's a news coverage. So, oh my God, there's so many interesting stories about art where we could go. But Mm. instead we are, there is a, instead we have an interview with the modern artist and there's a Tourette cursing. (laughs) And we don't know how to deal with that. So this is, yeah, yeah. This is, and this is the level Banksy, of... L- luckily, he is keeping privacy to himself, luckily. I haven't caught him yet. So. Yeah, so that was a nice discussion. Now we are out of our frustrations, yeah? yeah? yeah. <laughs> so thank you very much. And yeah, thank you. See you next time. Yeah, Bye. See you next time. Bye. Oh, whoa, that was quite a, quite a talk. Um, yeah, it uh, felt like a really heavy movie to talk about. Um, the, that the movie didn't release it right with me. Um, but, you know, if you liked it, uh, I'm happy for you. And uh, uh, it's a personal taste. And um, anyway, um, if you like our podcast, uh, you can share it with your friends. And also, if you want, it would be really nice to help our show if you could trade us on iTunes. Uh, the music you heard in the beginning and now in the background was done by Kevin MacLeod uh, with my additional remixing for our intro track. And um, be sure to join us next time when we will uh, uh, visit uh, France. Uh, thanks a lot and bye. <laughs>